buckle up. Thank you for listening to Musicians and Beyond, where we bring you the backstage info on the life, lyrics, and long journey of the music industry. Today, episode number nine, our next guest is zooming in from Hilton Head, South Carolina. If he's not on stage entertaining, he's working behind the scenes to help inspire other musicians of all ages. Please welcome the talented and inspirational Martin Lesh. Martin, how are you? Good, how are you guys doing? We are doing fantastic. What's going on in the life of music for you? Uh, well, I'm getting ready. I'm playing tonight at uh, a place called Jazz Corner. And I'll be there tonight with my band. And I'm just basically chilling before then. I'm going to work on some arrangements before I go in. And that's it. It's, it's ironic that you said the Jazz Corner because that's where I first saw you when I was down with the family in South Carolina. And we went and had an incredible dinner and saw an incredible musical show. You happened to have been headlining that night and I reached out to you and you were courteous and uh, agreed to come on Musicians and Beyond. So how did you get involved with the Jazz Corner? Uh, about, I want to say, almost 20 years ago, I was on the road a lot. I had a, a place here on Hilton Head, but I was mostly working out of Atlanta and Nashville. And I was, I was not here that often. But when I was here, I would go into the Jazz Corner and um, I would frequently be here on Tuesdays. And so I would go in and I'd see the owner's band. Uh, Bob Mastello was the person that founded the Jazz Corner. And uh, we just hit it off and became good friends. And uh, I would watch his band play. And then uh, I met my wife there. She's the general manager of the Jazz Corner, Kelly. And I uh, just kind of started playing there over the years. Martin, would it be fair to say that you've taken up residency at the club? Because you're there every Monday? I'm there every Monday with my band. And we do a show that's called Journey Through Jazz. So we play everything from early jazz up to arrangements of Stevie Wonder and the Beatles and things like that. And uh, then I'm there every Sunday night with another band I play in that's an R&B band called These Guys. And they're kind of like... A, a regional act that's been successful for a long time. I, I joined them about 12 years ago. When I was there, I saw the journey through jazz and I was nothing but inspired and impressed. You guys also did something with uh, Junior Jazz Foundation. Can you tell us what that is and what it's about? Yeah, the Junior Jazz Foundation was founded by the Masteller family. And uh, what we do is we provide instruments, funding, um, for schools in Buford and Jasper County here in South Carolina. Uh, we've been expanding as the years go by. For example, last, uh, in, uh, last year, uh, in the fall, we gave every school in, the, in that region $1,500 grants for their music programs. So 16 schools in all received those. And then we have programs where we fix their instruments. Um, we, take an, we, we get instruments donated to us, and we get those fixed and provide them to the schools. And uh, one of the, my favorite things that we do is we have a jazz camp every summer where kids come from all over the country and they come and study jazz music. So we have over, usually over 100 kids and they come from literally as far away as Alaska. And uh, they just come and we have some of the best educators and some of the best jazz musicians in the world all in one place. So it's, it's really fun. So let me ask you, Martin, you know, that's going to be a pretty big passion of yours, helping the youth and, and working with the foundation. But, you know, it's, it's great to be able to do music for a living and be able to give back in that way. I know as being on a few boards and working with nonprofits that 
you know, the, the toughest part about that is raising money to be able to do what you like to do. So that is a big part of it. How can we help and how can other people help you raise money to ensure that you guys continue to do what you do? There's always um, going to juniorjazzfoundation.org and you can donate right there. And then there's ways to, uh, like when you're in the club, I'm sure you saw there were ways to donate right there. You can donate right on your bill when, you, when you're paying at the end of the night or we sell uh, this fantastic book um, that's called The Jazz Corner Story. And that book is like a history of jazz book. It's really, really well done. And then it also has a lot of recipes from the jazz corner and, and talks about the, the camp and things like that. But Essentially, it's a history of jazz, as told by the Bob Masteller. So we do that, and then also we have um, a jazz festival that we run every year. And uh, we're, we're just about to announce who's going to be at the festival this year, but I'm very excited about it. We have great shows planned. Last year, we had Arturo Sandoval at the festival. So we do that festival every year, and that raises a lot of money as well. We have, you know, uh, of course, community sponsors, and then people buy tickets. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure we share, I, as I think you've seen, it's on our socials and we're putting it out there. So if we can help, hopefully we'll have an impact and it'll help you continue to do the good work that you do down there. Yeah, it's a great, it's actually kind of great because we partner with Sinesta Resort here on the island. So people could come stay at the Sinesta and the shows are right there. So um, it's kind of neat. It's just a, you know, like an all-inclusive kind of thing that you can get in the Sinesta. And uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. And also another thing is, is uh, when we do the jazz camp, it's an opportunity for those families to come too. So a lot of times the kids that are in the camp, the families are coming here for the week and they stay the week and, you know, vacation while the kids are, are doing camp and it's, it's a really neat thing for families as well. Cool. Cool. Yeah. What is the date of uh, the actual event, Martin? The, the jazz festival this year is going to be the 30th and 31st of October. So that's in the fall. Great. And then the, uh, the jazz camp, is the night starts on July 9th. It goes that whole week, Monday through Saturday. And it will be, uh, we always do it the week after the 4th of July. It's always the same week every year. Uh, so, and it's, it's really a remarkable thing too because we, we put on concerts for the whole community with kids from the jazz camp. And I'll tell you, like some of these kids are literally the best young musicians in America. So they get to see these young kids just completely playing mind-blowing stuff. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, through the years, we get to watch their careers develop, you know. Now some of them are playing the jazz form. I get as much out of it as any, as the kids get out of it, because it's really inspiring to just hang out with the young musicians and talk to them about music. And I think I might have mentioned this to you guys before, but one of the classes that I teach at the camp, I teach with a, a great online musician that's really well-known online named Amy Nolte. Uh, a class about how to make a living in the music business. That's right. Yeah. And I just love teaching kids that class because a lot of kids think there's no way to make a living um, and they don't understand that a lot of musicians make great livings and you might not know their names, but they're, they're out there working every day. You know, what? You, you bring up a great point, and I don't know if we talked about it in our last conversation, but one of our guests was talking about how they make a living and how they support themselves in order to do the passionate work they, they love doing. And one of the things that they do is that they compose music for video games. I never knew that that was a thing. That's a great revenue stream because if you sell a million video games, that's like selling a million copies of your of Incredible. Your it's good people, I mean, they get gold records for that. Yeah, that's. I, I never knew that that was an industry or, or a way that a musician could go about it, but so happy that other people are gonna learn that through our conversation with you. So uh, keep uh, inspiring and instructing those kids uh, 
because we'd love to see them be able to make a living, do what they love to do, and grow up in a, in a great creative space. Yeah, and honestly, in the jazz, in the, at least in the jazz world, but it, I think it exists in, in all styles of music. Uh, like, I live in a place where a lot of musicians are making a living, right? So I live in a resort area. So we have probably around 200 full-time musicians between Hilton Head and Bluffton and Buford, the town of Buford. That's a lot of full-time musicians. And then we have a lot of part-timers that might have another job that are still gigging and things like that as well. It's always, it's always fascinating to me to see how everybody, I mean, you use multiple revenue streams to make a living. You're, some people make all their living from gigs. Some people make a lot of their living from teaching. Some of them might, might make part of their living from online PDF sales. Some make a good living from selling merch at their gigs. You know, you, you know they might make up $200 at a gig and then make some other $200 in merch. You do all of the above. You're a teacher, you're a musician. Yeah, I, I, I really uh, worked hard to figure out ways to do what I love to do. Um, it's not that I get to do the music I love to do all the time. Sometimes I am hired out for you know, gigs and I go do that and, uh, and that's all fine and good. I'm still playing music, so it's, it's good. And there's always something to learn from those opportunities as well. But I was always thinking, okay, if I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I make most of my living from gigs because I gig about six days a week. No. So uh, I stay busy gigging, but I also make money from teaching. I make money from musical directing, arranging, um, things like that as well. One of the things that I've, I've learned through our conversation is I didn't realize Hilton Head was such a base for jazz music. I had no idea that the South had that, I should say the Carolinas, had that uh, deep of and rich of an environment for it. You know, interestingly enough, uh, there's a whole group of jazz historians that like to argue that jazz was really invented in Charleston and, uh, and not in New Orleans. Um, I, I don't know if I agree with them, but I, I like the idea. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a huge uh, musical community and a big jazz community between Jacksonville up to Charlotte. Really there's interesting. There's a lot of jazz musicians. We all know each other, but there's hundreds of us, and um, we're all working a lot. We all stay pretty busy. Yeah, you know, one of our guests that we had on over the weekend, uh, Michael Pace, does a lot of performing down in Charlotte. He loves the area. He's a young kid, and he's doing really, really well down there, but he performs almost every weekend in the Carolinas. We kind of like, we, we like to keep it a secret, kind of, because <laughs> yeah. we know all the musicians would love to come down here and see, you know, what's going on, but there's, there is a great opportunity here. One, that's the reason I ended up here from New York City. I mean, I, I, was, I grew up in New York City, and that's where I kind of uh, cut my teeth as a musician. I came down here and I was like, I, I'm gigging all the time. I was playing. I got some great gigs working on the road with other musicians. And I just never went back. So you were born in New York. You went to college in Boston at the Berkeley College of Music. I went to Berkeley School of Music and then I went to SUNY Buffalo. So that's a quite a change in environments weather-wise. Uh, SUNY Buffalo and Hilton Head, South Carolina. That is a big change. Is that why you ran down there? Buffalo was, uh, it's a, you know, it's a nice town. I, I always compare it to, to maybe like what war was like, that you made some great friends, but it was war. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, the way, I mean, I, I love, I love the environment that I live in here on Bonehead, you know, because it's such a beautiful island and it's such a natural environment and there's a real sense of values in this community to keep it beautiful and to keep it what it is, you know. That's cool. And also they, they there's, this is a huge artistic community. Not everybody realizes the artistic destination that Hilton Head is, you know. 
there's so much great music and everywhere you go there's great music but then there's also the whole historical and cultural heritage of the island the Gullah culture and our whole historical character I mean Hilton Head was the location of the first free slave town in the south and Hilton Head fought for the north during the civil war yeah. so just an interesting place it has a lot of culture and history and, and natural beauty of course well, it's all great information to share for our listeners. So if you're looking for a destination to go down to. It's well worth going down there. Great food, great music. The people are all friendly. It's a beautiful area. Oh, yeah, they can't do any better. It's great. So any other touring? Are you on the road for any shows coming up? Um, I have some stuff coming up in August where we'll be doing a bunch of shows at a place called Reynolds Plantation in Georgia. That is a place that was built by the Ritz-Carlton. It's a whole complex built by the Ritz-Carlton. It's a development. It's super nice. And we usually go out there and play for three or four nights in a row. But other than that, I'm playing on the island basically six nights a week right now. So I'm usually playing at the Jazz Corner Sunday, Mondays. And then I'm playing with like, there's a a great singer-songwriter I play with down here named John Cranford. And I play with him on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then Fridays and Saturdays, I'm always doing, usually doing event stuff with that band these guys a wide genre of music as well yeah you're uh, you're really busy and where do you find time to do something for yourself i understand you have a very passionate hobby of cooking yeah yes i love to cook i love to cook i had the opportunity to play in china and i went out and lived in china for four or five months and did a residency there in a city called Hangzhou, which is a beautiful part of china and um, I played there, we played every night. So I played seven nights a week, there was no breaks. But at the end of it, I did take a vacation and went around China and saw some sights and everything. But while I was there, I was always fascinated by Chinese food growing up in New York City, that's basically all I ever ate. And um, so when I was there, I kind of picked up a lot of things and I would ask people and I would watch and learn how to, how to cook it. And uh, over the years, I've just really spent a lot of time cooking Chinese food. You're going to have to free up your calendar so when Mark and I come down, you can cook us some of that Chinese food and uh, show us what you got. Yeah, I'll make you some hot pot. Love it. Absolutely. So you've mentioned earlier you're a composer. Could you tell us a little bit about the documentary movie that you composed? Yeah, that was a movie I made for um, this uh, documentary director named Doug Leet. He's a musician as well. It was a movie about two Navy SEALs, and when they were in their training program, uh, you know how they, they pair up Navy SEALs when they're training, they have a squid buddy, it's called, and that's your person that you train with, and you guys keep an eye on each other. And one of them committed a, a murder outside of a bar one night, and it's kind of the story of his swim buddy, and how he was kind of dragged into that situation, and, and the legal ramifications of it. Um, it's really well done. I enjoy film scoring. When I was at Berkeley, uh, that was my my intention, was to major in film scoring, because uh, I just was always fascinated by it. It's a powerful it's a powerful way to get it across music. You know, the documentary sounds very interesting. I, I'm going to have to jump on there and watch it. Um, the process of film scoring, how does that come about? Where do you get your direction from? Is it a story that someone's telling you, and then you're trying to take it and be creative and come up with something that goes along? Or are you watching clips and then trying to match something to it? Um, you know, sometimes it's, I'll see the clips beforehand and I'll make something for it. Sometimes the director will have some ideas, some input on what they want. Sometimes I'll make a, a bunch of songs in a certain, in a certain vein 
that score is very orchestral. I was using a lot of orchestral samples, and it's very much like that, but I kind of combined some modern ideas into it. I, I'll make a bunch of songs in a certain vein and let them choose and cut and put it where they want. Sometimes, though, if I'm doing something that might be like a commercial piece, um, like somebody's making a commercial reel or something, and they, they need to have stuff synced in there. In the old days, it used to be really hard to sync things in, but you know, if somebody presses a button on the video and they want the music to have a certain effect when that button is pressed, that used to be pretty hard to do back in the day, but now it's really simple. Sounds like an interesting process. Yeah, I love doing it because it, that's a natural thing for me to just, I can, I can write music all day. It's really writing lyrics is kind of where I, it used, that used to be easy for me when I was younger. I guess maybe I'm just older and more comfortable now and I have much to complain about. So you're into everything. Do you have a favorite part of your musical career that you like to do? Definitely my Monday night show. That's something I always look forward to. It's, it's a real chance to experiment with the band. And it's, I'm, I'm surrounded by fantastic musicians, you know, just like the best of the best for this area. And, um, and so I, it just, I, you know, I can come in there with different arrangements each week. And every week we're going to, you know, challenge ourselves and push ourselves and, and do something really interesting and neat. So it's just really fun. Yeah, that jazz corner is a great spot to see a show. It's very intimate. There's probably maybe 50 or 60 seats there. The food is great. The drinks are great. The staff is wonderful. And the talent is just extraordinary. It wins awards for like one of the top 20 jazz clubs in the world. So wow. it's always ranked in that, in that list, which surprises people when they come to Hilton Head, you know. But um, if you ask any musician, any jazz musician that tours this country, they love that place. It's just universally loved. The, the way that they treat the musicians, the crowd is fantastic. It's a listening room, as you've noticed, I'm sure, when you were there. Um, it's just a great spot. Martin, have you ever had a night where there was someone in the crowd that you recognized, someone that stood out as a musician and had them come up and perform with you? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I, it, sometimes it's even the junior jazz kids. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, they'll come and, uh, and I'll get them up there and have them do a song or... A lot of the singers come in, and I'll have them get up. And there's one, there's certain junior jazz players that, you know, are immensely talented. And through the years, I've developed relationships with them as, as you know, my peers. And so they know that they're always welcome to come in and work out their stuff. And I'll, I'll get them up for a song or two. And then there's always fantastic musicians coming through. I, I mean, I've had the opportunity there to play for a lot of my idols through the years. That's always been a great experience, you know. I mean, it's nerve-wracking when you're playing for somebody that... You know, like I, Mose Allison, somebody I grew up idolizing, you know, and then uh, just playing for him. It was just a great honor. Yeah. Is there one particular interaction that really stands out to you that you were kind of floored by? I mean, I like having the opportunity to, a lot of musicians, when they come through town, if they're playing the jazz corner on the weekend, say they're playing the Friday, Saturday at Jazz Corner, uh, you know, they'll call me or I'll call them and we'll, we'll meet up and hang out and a lot of times we'll meet up and hang out at the piano during the day at the club and we'll just talk piano and you know we'll sit down and I'll say show me what you're doing and show me or I'll know what I want to learn from them you know I'll say I want to learn how you do this and uh, we'll just sit there and kind of sit at the piano and talk about it and, and show each other stuff and I've had the opportunity to do that with some of the greatest pianists in the world Rosanna Sportiello, Kevin Bells. Uh, just so many, and it's and it's just great. I, I do love playing. There's one piano pianist in particular that lives here. I don't have you retired now. 
Bob Alberti is his name, and he was a legend in the business. Um, he played in the Tonight Show band and just one of the all-time great pianists and arrangers. He was a famous arranger as well. Uh, when he, whenever he comes to the club, I just love hanging out with him and talking to him. And I always ask him, Bob, what, you just listen to me. What do I need to work on? I want him to tell me what to practice. <laughs> so, uh, so he always, you know, he always gives it to me, the real deal. So it's, it's great. So with all the years that you've been performing, you're still trying to learn and get better every day. Yeah, I, I still practice pretty much every day for a couple hours. And then I go play, you know, four hours a night, mostly, you know, three or four hours. I'm sitting at the piano a lot. What's the process that's different when you're performing versus practicing? What comes out a little bit different than what if you were on stage? Well, if you're practicing and you make a mistake, you stop. <laughs> <laughs> you, act, you just do it again and act like, it was, like you meant to do it. <laughs> I'm practicing, I'm doing a couple different things. One, I'm trying to work on something new to pick up a new set of skills. Or else I am working on arrangements. So I'm working on how I'm going to play a song, and what I'm going to do with that song, what I might change about that song. And then, uh, so I'm working on different things. But I'm always trying to grow as a musician because that's the greatest thing about music. And that's what I tell kids all the time. There's no way to ever get bored. You're always trying to grow. You're, you're always chasing something that's untouchable. There's no end to it at all. Great. Now, if you were forced out of your comfort zone, away from the piano, what instrument would you play? Probably bass, because it's only one note at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably get gigs doing that. <laughs> well, that bass. tells me, if I walk into a room and someone tells me to grab an instrument and play it, I'm going to go right to the bass. Yeah, just, just get, pick up the bass and start a pump game. There you go. <laughs> Martin, if you were to get two phone calls at the same time, one is Billy Joel and the other is Elton John. They both wanted you to perform with them. Who would you pick and why? Well, it's, it's going to be Billy Joel because I, I, for some reason, Alan John never really spoke to me. Um, I mean, of course, like I'll hear some of his songs and I'll be like, that's amazing. But Billy Joel, I listen to. You know, I still listen to Billy Joel. I think that he wrote songs on par with the Beatles. Plus, he's a New Yorker. But when I was growing up, he lived in my neighborhood on the West Side. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just totally go. If you hear a song like just the way you are, all the time. The production of it, and he has that crazy sax solo in it. That saxophone in that is played by Phil Woods, who's one of the greatest bebop sax players that ever lived. Wow. So it's like, you know, it's just interesting to me to see like how he played that sax solo because it's so difficult. It is a difficult solo. <laughs> you know, I, I like your, your pick as well because I think, you know, when I look at Elton John, great entertainer, obviously very successful, and, and we enjoy listening to him. But I think Billy Joel speaks to me more because he's a, a storyteller in almost every song. Yeah. You know, talking about that sax solo, Amy Nolte, that musician I was talking about that is well-known on, on YouTube and, and uh, Instagram and such, she did a video that was explaining all the great sax solos from, like, rock songs from the 70s and 80s when they had sax solos still, and explaining the jazz musicians that played on them. Like, for example, not everybody knows that I'm waiting on a friend for the Rolling Stones. That's Sonny Rollins. So it's it just interesting to see all these jazz musicians come in and play that stuff. Interesting. It makes me think, when I, whenever I go into the world of singer-songwriter or rock world, how I can approach it as a jazz musician and play something interesting and not just play, 
you know, what I've heard my whole life coming out of those genres. Right, right. Do you get to play with, you know, a different genre band every now and then? Do you break out and, and move away from jazz and, and play with other people just for the experience? Yeah, I do it. I do it regularly. I especially Ooh. like to play... I mean, the jam band thing is always great, of course, because I, that kind of falls into jazz a little bit. Um, but So I play in bands that play Grateful Dead and all sorts of stuff like that. But um, I like to do stuff like there's, a, there's one gentleman I play with, John Cranford, that does a lot of Americana, kind of like John Prine-ish mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. And I like playing that because it really makes me think outside the box and have to challenge myself. I mean, it's hard for me. Because I could just play what would seem normal over that the whole time, and that would be fine. But I'm trying to find something within it that's different and speak. I can speak for myself to it. You know, it's, I'll refer back to our interview over the weekend with Michael Payson. He had a, a buddy with him that plays drums for him. He's out of Connecticut, and he has a heavy metal background. But he plays country drums for, for Michael's band when he's in Boston. And we asked him about that, the difference of doing it. And he was like, listen, it challenges me. I never listen to country music except when I'm, you know, preparing for a show with Mike. But I was absolutely blown away that he could go in there and and adapt to country music and have the other band members say he brings something different and it's a great influence on them. So it must be really, really entertaining and, as, as you say, challenging to get outside those bounds and work with others. Yeah, plus you can bring, you bring all that into jazz as well like I bring it into the thing I love like I grew up listening to a lot of hip-hop because I grew up in New York City so I I grew up during the birth of hip-hop and then of course I was there also for you know the young lines which was like Brantford Marsalis and Wynn Marsalis and so a great jazz thing was happening too so those two things were really always uh, genres of music I really loved so I combine those things a lot in what I do so you might hear me play kind of hip-hop inspired version of the jazz classic Cherokee you know I might do it to kind of hip-hop beat or something like that um so yeah I think it's important to combine you know all the things you love you can't just be a staunch traditionalist I mean you're the only one that loses out I think when you do that um because there's so much beautiful music right and I've listened to quite a bit of your music and it really is beautiful could you pick out one of your songs and tell me about it and how it came to life and the process of writing it. About the song I sent you, I sent you a version of, um, of Wichita Lion, right? The, the Jimmy Webb, Glenn Campbell classic mm. country song. Yeah. Yes. And I was at my brother's house and he was listening. He likes, for some reason, he likes new country. So he was listening to, <laughs> to a bunch of new country over there at his house. And uh, on the beaming service, Wichita Lionel came on. And I was about to say, this is like the greatest country song. This is one of the best country songs ever written. And before I could say anything, he just changed the channel. He goes, I hate that song. And uh, I just thought it was funny. So um, the next time that he came in the jazz corner, I had the band play it for him. Uh, just joking around. I was joking around about it from stage. But it came off so beautiful, I just kept playing it.
that song was also uh, my wife's father was an actual fireman. That was his job, and he uh, he loved that song. And so I, I I play it now, and I think about him a lot when I play it. And uh, so yeah, I, but I did I spent a lot of time working on an arrangement of it and kind of getting a vibe for how I wanted the sound. And then I brought that to the band, and then it grows a little bit. The arrangement grows every week that you play it with the band. You know, everybody adds something and it starts to grow, and we refine it over time. Yeah, it's a really very well put together song, and I like the way that you and your band really portrayed the feeling of the music. I got to tell you, when I'm sitting at my desk in the morning and I get into work, I have my Spotify playlist and you are on it now, and I love to have that just playing in the background. It makes the mornings so much more mellow and comfortable. So uh, I thank you for that. Yeah, that, you know, um, incidentally, that, that song was, the thing I sent you of that song was, that was just a random recording that the sound guy did uh, when we were uh, playing for a streaming uh, show for the Hilton Head Symphony Orchestra down here. Wow. And I just happened to catch a good moment, I thought. Yeah, it came out fantastic. Good timing on his part. <laughs> yeah, he recorded that whole show and got a bunch of great things in it. It was, it was nice because also they had a pretty, you know, I, every night that I go play in different places, I'm playing different pianos. Some of the pianos aren't so good. But they have a nice <laughs> piano over there with the symphony orchestra. If you're playing a piano that's not so great, tell guitar players, I'm like, you get to play your guitar every gig. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing a different piano or some crappy keyboard, and I'm trying to get through it, you know? And uh, a lot of times you have to really adjust how you're playing if you're playing a piano that's just not up to par. And, uh, you know, the, the old joke is the piano player is playing piano in a club. It's a bunch of broken strings. It's out of tune. It sounds terrible. He goes up to the owner and he goes, man, you got to do something about that piano. It's totally messed up. And the owner says, what do you mean? I just had it painted. <laughs> so there's that old joke. Luckily, at the jazz corner, I actually got to pick out that piano. So, uh, so I got to pick out a piano I love. That's awesome. It is good. So every musician has a story of how they got into music and at what age. What inspired you to get into music? I, it's the only thing I ever wanted to do, really. I mean, there was, there's other things I, I like to do, and I think that I wouldn't mind spending more time on. One would be writing, uh, not music, just writing. Um, but the only thing I ever wanted to do when I was five years old my parents, I wanted to be a piano player. Um, we had a piano in the house. I was always sitting on it. And they gave me lessons when I was five. They said, you have to wait till you're five. And then I, my fifth birthday, I said, can I have piano lessons? And they said, yes. Wow. And uh, just all I ever really wanted to do. So um, after that, I, as I got older, I just was fortunate enough to have really good teachers. Had I not had those teachers, it might have been a lot harder to not have really good teachers. You know, that can inspire you and teach you the things you need to learn and so I was really fortunate to have that. And then um, I just always stuck with it. I just never gave up. I just always loved it. I mean, I have songs I wrote when I was seven years old. I still have them sitting around the house. And let me tell you, they were really depressing. I don't know why I was writing <laughs> these songs. They are terrible. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we were talking about that last time. You, you said no child should have those kind of ugly and, and depressing memories. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I had no idea why they were like that. But, you know, a lot of those childhood things that from my childhood ended up influencing me later as a lyricist, in particular, Shel Silverstein, who wrote uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends. You guys familiar with that? Like a big lyrical influence for me later on because I love to tell stories and create characters 
And so uh, that was a big, and you know, incidentally, he, not that everybody knows this, he wrote A Boy Named Sue. Oh, really? Johnny. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So if you had the opportunity to play with any one musician, dead or alive, who would it be? I mean, to be honest, I'm playing with one of them right now. That's, that's Delbert Felix. That's awesome. My band on Mondays. He is one of the all-time greats as a upright bassist. He, you know, through the 80s, he played with all my idols. He played with Branford Marsalis and everybody. And uh, he's just a special talent. He's a beautiful, beautiful person. And that comes out in the way he plays the bass and the way he approaches music. So playing with him is really like a bucket list thing for me. And I, I really just love, I mean, sometimes I just want to stop playing and just listen to what he's doing. That, that's a pretty awesome uh, opportunity and, and an answer, I have to tell you. I, I, I wasn't expecting that, but I'm so happy that you have that opportunity. So good for you. Really special. Somebody should do a, a documentary movie on Delbert's life, as a matter of fact, because it's a, it's a real story, but he's, he's one of the great musical minds. Wow. Let's hope that's a call out to somebody right now that's listening that wants to do something, a project like that. One person I can think of is Casey Sherman, who uh, is a huge jazz fan, and uh, he, he's he got some, some writing skills to him. He's got some chops and some movies out there, but uh, I'm sure a project like this would be very interesting to him. I'll mention it to him. Yeah, please do. Do you have a special place that you like to play or a place that you haven't played that you want to play at? Um, well, I have a lot of nightmares of playing at uh, Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so do the Red Sox. I go to play and then my keyboard doesn't work and it just makes <laughs> terrible sounds and anybody boos. Um, I mean, I really like intimate kind of settings. I would love to play the Blue Note in New York City. Oh, wow. I've never been there. Um, that would probably be near the top. Of course, the Vanguard. I've never played the Village Vanguard. Um, but like, I like intimate rooms, so it would probably be something like on a smaller scale. I mean, the Jazz Corner to me is kind of like a perfect venue to do what you want to do. I, did, I have had the opportunity to play to large crowds. For example, I was playing, playing Music Midtown Festival in Atlanta with a band I played with, and so we were playing to 50,000 people. And the very next night, we played in a renovated Waffle House to 50 people. <laughs> so just let you know, the ups and downs of the music business. <laughs> right. <laughs> fun. Is there a fun fact about you that you could tell us? Give us a Martin Lesh fun fact. Well, this, is, this might cost me in the long run, but I can hustle pool. Wow. And how long have you been playing pool? I grew up playing pool. My father was a serious pool player. Oh, wow. My whole family is pretty good. But I spent a lot of time on it. And um, I've hustled, I've even hustled musicians to play on my, <laughs> uh, on some of my records. To, uh, I've gone and beaten them in pool the night before and said, will you come tomorrow? They got some tracks for me. So they didn't have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. <laughs> and, I, and I always have a set thing where I'll lose the first game by just a tiny bit and I'll act like a sore loser and then they will just gamble forever. Not too much. Don't give too much away. Or you'll lose your edge. <laughs> well, everybody at Hiltonhead knows now. <laughs> well, I won't be challenging you when I come down to Hilton Head. I will still take you up on that Chinese food homemade. Is there a favorite pool table or a bar room that has a pool table that you, you love the experience of being in and playing? <clears throat> I, guess I, I, I used to be, well, I still am, probably the biggest connoisseur of dive bars <laughs> in the world. Everywhere you, I go, I find the dive bars. I love dive bars. The Mars bar in New York was probably the worst I've ever been, but I love it. Oh, okay. Um, 
Jimmy's Corner, Times Square, that's a good dive bar. Or Rooney's over in Hell's Kitchen, that's a good dive sure. bar. Sure. Yeah. But Hilton had us out there share some good, really good ones. In my opinion, maybe the greatest dive bar I've ever been to was a place called Mickey's. And they used to have people, two pool tables and people in there gambled. And so I love to hang out there. And, uh, and also, it was a mishmash of all different sorts of cultures in there. You know, everybody from every sort of walk of life was in there. So you could be sitting next to somebody that played in the orchestra, and then um, you know somebody that was an electronic musician or somebody that you know pumped gas. It could be anything. That's pretty cool. Fun, yeah. fun. Martin, you're an incredible musician. You're a wonderful person. You do a lot for the community, a lot for the youth. How do people find out about you, where you're playing in the charities and the organizations that you support? The best way is really just to follow me on Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. That's where I kind of keep my real schedule. You can hear my music on uh, martinlesh.com or else Bandcamp. My, my Bandcamp page, if you just go to Bandcamp and put Martin Lesh in, you can hear that. That actually has a lot of my original music from the past. And then, uh, of course, we have the Junior Jazz Foundation. You can always uh, go on there and see what we're up to there. And uh, and there's sites on for Hilton Head that are created by Hilton Head called Culture HHI. And that's a, a town-generated site that I work on as well, uh, created by our Office of Cultural Affairs here. And... Um, that also has a lot of information about things going on in Hilton Head, and you can find where I'm playing there a lot, too. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you can count on Mark and I in Musicians and Beyond to go on the Junior Jazz Foundation website right after this podcast and put a nice little donation in there to help out. And we appreciate everything that you're doing and appreciate you coming in for the you know, Martin, we talked about it last time. I jump on a plane at the drop of a hat, so one day I'm going to get down there. John and I will take a trip. I, I'm looking forward to getting down there and seeing you. John's had the pleasure. I want to take advantage of that and, and make that happen. One of the things we like about doing this is not only giving people an opportunity to, you know, ear, ear out some of what they're doing and get more of a fan base and, and to spread the word and the gospel of music, it's also to create a greater network and greater friendship and so we want to thank you today for being on here and being one of our friends. Please, please come down. Next time you're down here, just, just uh, let me know and I'll, I'll take you guys out and show you around. Yep. Be careful what you wish for. We may just take you up on that, Martin. Oh, be good. Yeah, thank you again. We appreciate it. And we appreciate all these listeners from Musicians and Beyond. Again, we thank you for your friendship. You have a great day and we look forward to seeing you soon. Me too. Peace and love. Thank you for being our friend. <laughs>